You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. All right, welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. And I am so pumped right now to have this next guest on. She's a four-time regional CrossFitter, athlete, registered dietitian, university food nutrition professor, and keynote speaker, and also an ovarian cancer survivor. Please welcome Jennifer Broxterman. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Man, this is pumped. So we were just chatting beforehand. You just finished up the uh, the enlifted course that I'm about to take, and you just got to spend a whole weekend with the people, them, yes, themselves, Mark and the Kimberly. And, man, so you're coming off a pretty sweet high then. Absolutely. I was on a little bit of a podcast run from Canada to Virginia, USA, and everyone is just so nice in that enlifted community, no matter where you happen to go. 100%. I noticed we were on, I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was uh, Enlifted Reloaded. It was just that yes. little thing that kind of Mark put on. And in it, they were talking about what ifs. I think that's what mm -hmm. we had. To, we had to type in the comments and I saw in your comment, right. like to be on X amount of podcasts, whatever it was. So I was like, I gotta write that down to do, do, do. And so here we are. Like here we are two weeks later. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. That's the magic of like community. I think people underestimate wealth and connections and just success in life is very much connected to being open to meeting different people. And if I can support you and your audience, you know, good things often come from serving others first. So it's, I'm so yeah. happy you reached out. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I also note in, in some of the notes here that you put, uh, you have a dog named Carly. I do. Yes. Do you have that a dog was, named Carly? We had a dog named Carly and it was uh -huh. our gym dog. And now she's our gym dog beside me right now. It's, it's a den area where kind of like kids or whoever hangs out and we, it's called Carly's den. So we kind of oh, named it after, but she was also a black that. lab. So, oh my goodness. We have that in common. Yeah, yeah. They just love people and she just mesh, she meshes right into our gym community too. So our Carly after the work. So when the workout started, she would leave. She knew when I said yes. three, two, one, go is time for her to go. Yeah. When I would yell time. Ears perked right up, yep. walks into the gym and goes and checks on everybody that's like, Oh my there. God. That's literally what our Carly does too. They just know, they just know what their role is. It's crazy. <laughs> eh? Awesome. Um, so yeah, let's dive into this. You are a registered dietitian. Yes. What got you into that field? What got you started in that in the first place? Yeah. So I'll, it's kind of a crazy long story, but I'll give like the two minute condensed version. Sure. When I was, I think 16 or 17, I was in high school and my dad had a massive heart attack playing hockey on the ice. So he wasn't massively overweight. We didn't eat super unhealthy as a family, you know, cooked a lot of whole foods, but he had a pretty high stress job and wasn't always the most regular with his eating. It was a bit chaotic. So had a heart attack on the ice, but it was in a point in his heart that's called the widow maker. So most people do not survive the blockage that he had. And I remember it was like Thanksgiving morning. We were like cooking a turkey, getting ready for the big feast. And my mom kind of her face went really white and ashen. And she's like, I'm going to go to the hospital. Your dad, you know, had a heart attack. I need you to stay home with your two little ones. Cause I was like the oldest child in my family. And then I got a phone call from my mom a couple hours later being like, turn off the oven. Just don't let the house burn down. Get your sister and brother in the car. You guys need to come say goodbye to your dad. Jeez. So fully drove to the hospital thinking this is the last day my dad's going to be on earth. Now he did make it. He did pull through. He was in the hospital for about three weeks, kind of touch and go if he was going to make it. And I was telling Fern this actually when I was on the best hour of their day, the first thing my little teenage brain did, it was like, how can I help in this situation? And the first thing I went to was nutrition. So if I can just help my family's environment have more vegetables cut up in the fridge, if I can go get fresh groceries while my mom is like back and forth to the hospital every day, I just thought about how do I set up my family's environment to make the healthier choice, the easier choice? Because one of my things with my dad 
is he didn't ever pack a lunch. He didn't really eat breakfast. He would go all day to his job and not eat, be kind of a stressful stockbroker, would come home and have our healthy family dinner, and then he would snack more into the evening. So I don't know why my brain connected the dots, but I was like, I think nutrition is going to be a part of the medicine. My dad needs to get better and never have to go through this again. And so that's where I just started to get really into healthy eating and nutrition and like learning as much as I could. Cause for me, I could see the dots between, I like science, I like people and I like helping. So how do I lean into that skill set? And is there a way to maybe, you know, make a career out of this? But it first started, I don't even want to say selfishly, cause it really was like, I guess it is selfish that you want your parent to be around, but I just started with how do I make sure my dad pulls through? And I went right to nutrition as one of the, the, the root causes of why I think he got there in the first place. So yeah, so that's a crazy start to how my nutrition journey as a dietitian began. It's a really remarkable story. Like that's, yeah. it's insane. I like mm. that you said, you know, how can I help? And I correct me if I'm wrong, but is that not the mantra of, of a, a helping professional? Yes, it is. Absolutely. How can I help? Right. Yeah. It opens the door for so much. And I love that that started with you at such a young age and it's continued on to mm. what you're doing now and why you're so successful. I also picked up on something you said in there. You said, you know, I think the nutrition is going to be the medicine. What do you mean by yes. that? So I think about medicine as when I open my refrigerator, my freezer, my pantry, do I have foods that support my vitality, that support my energy levels, that support my health? And I think so much of modern medicine, air quotes here, because we're on audio, is more about sick care. We are chasing diseases after the fact and trying to mitigate and manage symptoms of things that had a much more upstream root cause. So I often like to give this story to my clients and I'll share it with the audience here. It's like the tale of two doctors. So you go to doctor one and you're like, my foot really hurts. And they're like, oh, sorry to hear that. Okay. Here's a prescription for some Tylenol threes. Let's just numb it. So you don't really feel that pain. Or you go to doctor number two and you're like, my foot hurts. And the second doctor's like, wow, I'm sorry to hear that. Can we take off your shoe and your sock? I just want to get in there and take a look around ah, it looks like you've got a piece of glass that actually got stuck in your foot and it looks like there's a bit of an infection. Okay, let's carefully pull that piece of glass out. We'll treat the infection and over time, it's gonna be a little bit slower than just numbing it, but your foot's gonna be good as new and you're gonna be able to like go climb mountains and crush, crush your goals. So I think so much of problem solving, my brain always goes to let's go upstream and let's try to find the origin. So even with food, food is connected to the origin, but it might also be that you're stress eating. Okay. It's not actually these foods are bad finger wag. Don't have potato chips in the evening. It's let's even go more upstream and look at your self-talk, your boundaries, your systems, your routines, your habits, because that's all impacting how food shows up in your world. So I just, I always, I'm a systems girl at heart. I love systems, but when I can help a client solve through some of their mindset blocks, some of their environmental chaos and really create habits, routines, organization, order, and positive and resilient and kind, supportive self-talk, instead of hoping on a prayer that willpower will carry you through. And then willpower is like our <laughs> flaky friend. It RSVPs yes to the party. It doesn't always show up to the party when we need it. And then feeling really defeated and self-dejected when our willpower failed us. I like to teach clients a better way to interact with food, but you have to go as deep as their mindset, which is cool that we have that in common with them lifted. And then really building that supportive environment and that's actually what feeds our daily and weekly habits. So it's a very bizarre way, but that's how I really think about healthy eating. Absolutely. Man, you hit on literally every <laughs> point all in one, one uh, go there. Yeah. Um, I would love to take your analogy one step further and you kind of hinted at it, environmental chaos. And what yes. if that doctor asked, why did that piece of glass get in there in the first place? So is important. it that there's a whole bunch of broken glass in your house and you have no other options but to step on that? Right. So is that not one of the first steps? High five let's, on that let's analogy. Let's look, look around yeah. you and see what's happening, right? 
they always right. say in business, they say, you know, you're the average of the five people that are around you. True. Well, your body is the average of the food that's around you. So let's take Absolutely. a look at your environment first, right? And there's three words I actually have framed on our office wall that, that changes this conversation. So it's going to dive right into the analogy that you've built on. And our three words are be curious, be kind, be honest. So what's cool is if you can look at your environment, not with harsh, judgmental, you know, bully-like eyes, but instead be like a curious detective. So, huh, there is shards of glass absolutely everywhere. So the metaphor of like the environment is chaotic and not supportive. Let's look at how did this come to be? Is this something that's due to lack of planning? Is this a socioeconomic issue? Is this a, the people in your life are dropping glass bottles everywhere? Let's just be really curious without judging it because people get really defensive or they want to numb out or shut down when they feel like there's judgmental, you know, a judgmental lens to looking at their situation. So if I can teach you to look at your situation and your choices with curiosity not let the inner bully get in there and, and um, you know, we're going to bring in some kindness, but we need that honesty. If we try to bury our head in the sand and go like, la, 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 I don't see any glass, <laughs> but every day there's shards of glass in the bottom of our foot. And yeah. every day we're eating out and not having enough vegetables and drinking too much. And we just try to stay in denial about that. That doesn't help anyone improve their health habits. So I actually have them framed on the wall because what that, that language does is it sets the tone for the vibe of our appointments is, Hey, you're not going to be judged when you open up about your struggle with say stress eating or drinking or, um, you know, binging or whatever the case might be. This is just a space where we're going to be curious and kind and honest and have a conversation that moves you more in the direction of your goals. So I find it really relaxes people. And then they tell me years later, Jen, Sometimes when I like get ready to, you know, get jump down my own throat, they're like, I just hear your voice, be curious, be kind, be honest. And they're like, I solve the problem a different way. So it's, it's helpful to even frame the words or the tone you want to have in your nutrition sessions. So that's a little tidbit for coaches out there is put some words on the wall. Um, now this doesn't have to be like live, you know, well, love off, like laugh, you know, something like yeah, that, yeah. Live, laugh, but love. It yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it really does. It helps set the intention of how you want clients to be resilient and problem solve their, their issues that come up in their life. That's like, you're saying words matter. Words really do matter. Yeah. <laughs> language, language sets the tone for everything. Um, you, you brought up the word resilient uh, a few times mm -hmm. now. I'd love to hear what your, um, how would you describe that in your own words? Yeah, that is probably one of the most guiding forces of my success today. So to me, to be a resilient person means to have the courage to be vulnerable and yet honest with yourself to do things that are hard and scary and just to know that life will have hardships and to not play a victim, to not whine about it. But I kind of call it the best doable option versus the best theoretical option. So the best doable option, the BDO, is what is the best I can do in this situation with my time, my energy, and my resources? We're not worried about the best theoretical option because there's a lot of people who play around with per the perfect answer and then they end up taking no option. So to me, being resilient is just showing up with integrity and the best I'm able to give that day, being okay that I won't be perfect, being okay that others around me won't be perfect, and just having the courage to do things that are scary and you might step into the unknown or you might get knocked down or you might take a risk and it doesn't go well and just extract the lesson and move on. You know, there's no such thing as failure. There's just feedback. So it's kind of a long worded answer, but to me, the words that are, I associate with resilient resilience is just like courage, vulnerability, working hard, doing the best we can being a good problem solver and not getting discouraged or not expecting life to always go your way. I think we have this like childish two-year-old egocentric <laughs> view that like the whole world is going to, of course, agree with me and like part the Red Sea and open this clear and easy path. That's unrealistic. So I think when you start your day knowing there'll be hardships, there'll be disagreements, there'll be things that don't always go smoothly you're more mentally prepared for that when it does 
hit you. And then you just respond in the best, most hardworking, ethical, aligned way with, with your goals. And also I think like being a good person factors into this too, just like be a good human is part of, I think, being a resilient person as well. So that's how I view resiliency. I've never heard that before. The best doable option. I I really like that. I've used the analogy of, um, and this goes back to the, I know you kind of mentioned perfectionism a bit, like, you know, mm-hmm. looking for the perfect solution. So I'm researching everything right. and it really boils down to that all or nothing mindset right. that, that people have. And and it's very common. It's, it's out right. there and rampant. And oh, yes. instead of it, I, I make the analogy instead of your nutrition, wellness, fitness, whatever it is being like a light right. switch, treat it like a volume dial. And yes. so if life is busy, you don't have to have it at a 10. You can turn it down to a two or a three and that's yeah. totally fine. Just don't let the light turn out. Don't flick it off. Yes. As soon as you do that, you go into this yo-yo cycle and we For all know sure. how detrimental yo-yoing anything is other yep. than an actual yo-yo. Right. I actually play a mental game with my nutrition clients and you could do this in business. You could honestly apply this analogy to whatever. And I'm like, I'm going into your brain right now and I'm doing a quick little electrician switcheroo. So you have an on off light switch. When I have these like very perfectionistic clients, I'm like, I'm just going to come in here as an electrician and I'm just switching your light switch to a dimmer light. So you no longer have the option where it's hundred percent on or zero. I've now gone in your brain and stuck in a dimmer. And so when I have those perfectionistic clients that are like, Oh, I blew it. Screw it. I was like, no, no, no. Like let's bring a little bit of light back up because you now have a dimmer you have the ability to give it something. And then I again go, what would be a best doable option? Or I'll play a game if it's in the past and they're rehashing a weekend, a month or whatever, a trip that like they had good intentions that didn't come through, then no judgment on that. But in our debrief exercise, I might ask the question, hey, if I could be a fairy godmother and give you the gift to go back and have a do-over, what are the lessons that you know now here in the present that you could apply a month ago in the past? Maybe you didn't expect your pipes to burst, you know, a whole bunch of like chaos to come into your life. Knowing what you know today, if I gave you the power to go back and relive the last few weeks, what lessons would you bring to have better prepared you and set you up for a little bit better success than how it actually unfolded? And so it's, again, it's a really creative thought exercise where they don't need to feel judged for how it unfolded. I'm teaching them the skills of how to be more resilient and problem solve by looking at it as like just a curious detective. And I kind of actually give it three names. There's the inner bully voice. There's the curious detective neutral voice. And then there is our wise guide, not wise guy but our wise guide. (laughs) And so what we want to do is we have a two-on-one teamwork where the curious detective takes notes and it looks for clues and observations and patterns. And then instead of giving that notepad to our inner bully, who's going to put us in a ring and mentally beat us up, we're going to take that collection of clues and patterns and observations and give that notepad to the wise guide. And then the wise guide is going to support us and look for the best doable option moment by moment. So it's just a way of mentally problem solving so that people can act more with that dimmer response. Um, always something is better than all or nothing. Or the bully is like, you're all on or not. So yeah, always something versus all or nothing. You you just said this <laughs> the title of my speech that I give. Always really? something, never nothing. I love that. We're yeah. on the same wavelength. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I just gave that speech two weeks ago and it's like, incredible. that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, What in your experience with working with others, what do you find is the biggest roadblock people have when it comes to either changing their nutrition or just kind of focusing on it? Mm, There's a couple. One of them is it's actually a self-identity crisis where I work with clients that don't see themselves as worthy of, you know, being healthier. They, they don't yet see themselves as that self-identity. So they put themselves last, you know, they'll put everyone else before them. I work with a lot of mothers who will like 
pack their kids really nutritious lunches and yet they themselves won't like pack themselves an identical lunch even though the food is in the house you know the environment piece is there uh it's it's a self-identity and a worthiness issue and we have to kind of go back because their their body image is so poor their self-esteem is so low we actually have to dig way deep and find those shards of glass and help pull them out so that they can start to see themselves in a new light because they can have all the knowledge, all the tools, but if they don't see themselves as deserving of, you know, changing their body composition, having more energy, feeling better, um, it's almost, they'd rather stick with the pain that they know than the discomfort that they don't know. So I'd exactly. say that's, that's one of the, the hangups that I see. And then the other one is people don't give enough credit to how important a supportive environment is. So they just, on a hope and a prayer, think that they can continue to wing it off of willpower and good intentions. So they'll learn about paleo or keto or intermittent fasting. They're deep into the throes of the internet, learning, learning, researching, but then they don't take the next steps to have those great options set up. And I'm not saying that those are the diets that are the greatest. What I'm kind of hinting at is there is this like perfectionism analysis paralysis and not enough doing. So like get off scrolling for Instagram or Pinterest recipes and just go chop your vegetables and like put a vegetable container front and center in your fridge. Stop worrying about being perfect with the XYZ diet and just go make a healthy whole food-ish meal and maybe stick a couple extra portions in the freezer. Um, so a lot of people do not protect their environment. And the key thing you have to realize is there needs to be some repeatable systems in your week that set you up for success. And that's where I jokingly call that selective willpower. So selective willpower might be cutting up your vegetables when you get groceries on the weekend. It might mean making a meal or two that's really nutritious and then putting some extra portions in the fridge for, you know, leftovers. It might mean that you are being intentional at the grocery store so you don't just shop hungrily and mindlessly stick all the treats in the cart. The willpower needs to be applied at the grocery store because if less comes home, there's less glass to go step on. So environment is really important, but that's also environment of our social. Like you said, the five people. Who, are we around like-minded people where it is normalized to, hey, let's hang out and go for a hike instead of, hey, let's hang out and have wine and apps, you know, at happy hour. Um, and then our online environment, what are we listening to? What are we watching? What are we scrolling through? And there's a lot of toxic stuff out there. And so sometimes it's a less is more approach in our online habits too. Not saying, you know, you can't be on social media, but when two hours a day gets wasted, scrolling, scrolling, and now you haven't gone to bed on time, which makes you too sleepy to get up in the morning and go for that walk or go to the gym or, you know, start your day. So we have to look at environment in all three levels, our physical surroundings, our social support, and our online environment. And I think that's the second magic piece of people who are more consistent versus people who are hoping with willpower that they'll be consistent, but they're not. Okay. That yeah. was a lot. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah that was 100%. a lot to unpack. So yeah, yeah, mindset yeah. issues and environment issues are the two biggest drivers, I think, of our day-to-day -day habits. Okay. I want to dive into both of those okay. um, a little more. Sure. I don't know which one to start with. Let's start with the identity part. I've, yeah. I've chatted with people before, and actually I just did, <laughs> we just shot a video about this. Um, we have one of those pull-up bands and I, yeah. I put it, I put it around somebody and I yeah. said, okay, there's a little bit of tension here, right? Yeah. Okay. I said, okay. Every time I tell you to do one of these things, take a step forward. Okay. Mm. So drink more water, just took a step forward, eat more yeah. veggies, just took a step forward, uh, get more sleep, take a step forward, get off Instagram, um, by seven o'clock, take a step forward. Yeah. And eventually that elastic is going to snap her back to right. her default. Right. And I find what's happening is that a lot of people stack all these habits up, but then they always revert back to where they were because right. they haven't done the work to change their identity yet. Yes. And so I believe that's the most important part is changing that identity before you start saying, here's all the things that you need to do. Right. So how would you go about identifying and changing somebody's identity to start with? 
let me give you a couple great coaching exercises. So I will literally teach you what I teach my clients. So there's a few. The first one is the three words imprinted on the wall. Be curious, be kind, be honest. What I'm teaching my clients to do before I get fully into the self-identity work is to just change how they look at setbacks. So if they can just remember the three words, curious, kind, honest, each time they get encountered with a setback, I'm starting to change. I call it solution-oriented thinking. They are learning how to approach a setback without just throwing up their hands and going, ah, I blew it. And then nothing really comes from that particular sentence. So that's one of the little identity kind of pieces. Um, Another one I teach them, as I said, is an exercise called the three voices. So I actually notice a name when the bully's talking, when the curious detective is looking for clues and patterns, and then I'm starting to teach them the voice of a wise guide. Now, as the coach and mentor, I am that wise guide in the beginning, but I'm by having those conversations, I am teaching them how to find their inner wise guide voice to problem solve for the best doable option. So it's, again, it's a, it's a skill set of thinking, and I want to start with those thinking skills. Um, knowing, knowing what you know now, do you now have them write those down as opposed to just talking through it and thinking about it? I will. And using some of the enlifted coaching, we will actually write out a story in the voice of the inner bully. And then we'll come in and change it as how would the curious detective narrate the exact same story in their voice? Now that wise guide, and you'll learn about kind of the wise guide, we call it the corner man in level two, you'll get into that, but um, it's coming. Uh, yeah. And then it's like, how would your wise guide narrate that same story? And they're like, oh my gosh, I can now see something from three different perspectives instead of just instantly going to the perspective of the bully. So it's really cool when you teach someone the skill of, you can just switch out the glasses from black to kind of clear to sort of rosy. And we start to blend the perspective of the detective and the wise guide together to then make decisions. Another identity change I love to use is three potent words. They can be really bad potent or really great potent. And the three words are, I deserve this. So who hasn't at the end of a long day or long week been like, you know what? I deserve to go out for for dinner or get some takeout or I deserve this glass of wine. You know, I have clients that say that all the time. It's a self, self, tongue twister, self soothing phrase. It's a way to feel better because they've been battered and had a rough time. And so their body and brain is trying to make them feel better by going, I deserve this. So this is one of my favorite coaching exercises. When you hear that, what we're first going to do is go, Oh, red flag. Your body just raised a red flag. When you hear the phrase, I deserve it. So first I'm going to combat it with something from our wise guide. Our wise guide is going to go, you deserve to get rewarded for all of your hard work. You've been going to the gym, you've been drinking your water, you've been eating a little bit better. You deserve to be rewarded with more energy. You deserve to be rewarded with a healthy body. You deserve to be rewarded with great long-term health that doesn't have chronic disease. So it is okay that you hear the phrase, I deserve it. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a game. So coming out of coach mode, coach to coach, you and I, Science shows that when we gamify behavior change, people are more likely to engage with positive changes than if it's just very factual and like, you need to do this. So I actually teach them a game when they hear I deserve it. And I try to customize it to their life. So I either do the dog barking game or the baby crying game. So you have a dog, Carly. I have a dog, Carly. I don't know if you're a father. Do you have children as well, Kevin? Yep. Yeah. So you can probably relate to both analogies. I'll give both for the listeners out there. So for any of us that have dogs, we probably learned that our dog has a different bark for slightly different requests. Like our dog doesn't speak English, but my dog has a bark for I'm hungry. Feed me now. My dog has a bark for like, let me out. I need to go to the bathroom. My dog has a bark for someone's at the door I don't know, and I'm kind of protecting the house. My dog has a playful bark like, hey, come on, play with me. Let's wrestle. Um, She has a bark if you accidentally step on her foot, like a little yip, like, ah, you you caught me, that hurt. 
And so I start to know how to communicate with my dog, even though it's a very rudimentary communication that she has, I'm figuring out what her unmet need is. Is it food? Is it bathroom? Is it playtime? Or think about a baby crying. As a parent, you're trying to figure out what your baby needs. And it's only way to at first express its requirements is through different kinds of crying. There is a, I'm really overtired. I need to go down for a nap cry. There is a, I need comfort. Please snuggle me. I'm hungry. I'm wet. I'm in pain. And a parent, imagine if every time your baby cries, you're like, oh, let's give it a bottle or breastfeed it. Let's just feed it, feed it, feed it. And then it is sitting in a poopy diaper or it needs to go down for a nap. So what we need to do is when you hear, I deserve it, it's like my body needs something. What does it really need that I'm trying to use food or alcohol to feel better about? Is it that I'm just exhausted and I just need to shut my laptop down, call it an early night, take a shower and go to bed? Is it that I'm bored and I need to actually plan some excitement? Is it that I feel lonely and I need connection right now? whether it's in person or just calling my mom, a friend, whatever the case may be. Is it that I'm really stressed and I need three deep breaths and maybe a power walk around the neighborhood to just like shed off some anxiety and some nervous energy. So I now look at, oh, I want to go eat to feel better. Okay. I'm not judging myself. Curious detective. Huh? I wonder what's the baby cry. What is, what do I really deserve right now? And then I try to gamify it in terms of matching what I deserve instead of I deserve food or I deserve a drink. So that's a really helpful part of the identity game. So one, they need to see themselves as a resilient problem solver. And that's where I name the detective and the wise guide. So they learn that those voices are inside of them. And then that that intentionality that they can solve their problems with curiosity, kindness, and honesty. Notice how there's no judgment, there's no shame, there's no bullying, and that's an important part of the identity shift. And little by little, they have to see themselves as a healthy person. So I'll have them do another exercise called going to tea with their future self. And I was like, imagine sitting across the table from you, you're at a Starbucks coffee shop, and it is the best version of you. You know, it is six months, a year, five years into the future. You know, and they are just sharing their life with you. They're sharing their schedule, their headspace, their goals, their, you know, their choices. Who do you see across that coffee table? You know, what do they look like? How do they carry themselves? What are they thinking? What have they chosen to let go? What have they protected with intentionality? And then we might bring in the big rocks exercise of like, if that person's jar was filled with their most important big rocks, what is in their jar? And then if we look at where things are, again, without any judgment to where you are today, what are some rocks taking up space we need to maybe pull out of your jar? And what are some more important rocks? So you really get them to do that identity work of who do I want to be? And then we break it down. of If we have the identity, what are the daily and weekly routines that maybe aren't being protected that if I call them votes for your healthiest self? It's like a piggy bank. If you, we just keep you have a name in, thing. I love. This oh, I do. <laughs> I have games for everything. Yeah. But if we just keep putting votes into our health account, that will lead you to that version of self you met across the coffee table. And so it's just like, what would that future version of yourself do? Because if your choices today don't line up with the choices of that person, you're just going to get there a little bit slower. But if your choices today are lining up with the choices of that person, don't be greedy with the time frame. the changes will happen because that part's out of your control. The part in your control is just making your daily deposits. So what deposits did you put in your health account today? And so those are all parts of the mindset coaching that I like to do is you have to think like that version of you, but it's not just like, oh, there's this idolized version of me I want to be. It's what are their votes? What are their choices? How do they make little decisions day by day? Maybe they get the garden salad with the hamburger instead of the side of fries and they order the water and not the soda or the pop. Awesome. Maybe will that change your weight overnight? No, but that's what that healthier version of you made those health deposits. Correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of the stuff you do is about tuning in versus tuning out. Yes, it is. 
what I see happen is that a lot of people use food to tune out. They felt all the things. They don't want to feel any more things. Right. Let's turn everything off and just tune out. Mindless, mindless scrolling, mindless yep. viewing, mindless eating. That's your Tylenol three because there's some glass in your foot. Absolutely. Yeah. How do mm, hmm. how do people change that? Like move the dial to tuning in because what I'm imagining or picturing is that a lot of people say, "Look, I've been tuned in all day. I don't want to tune in anymore." So how do you turn that dial for them or help them turn that dial on their own to going inside? Like, I know you have all these tips and tricks, but when push comes to shove, if it's six o'clock on a Friday night and I'm zonked, yep. how do you, how do you do that? How do you get motivated enough to say, okay, how, how do I tune in? What I try to do, and let me see if I can actually grab a photo just to show you, because sure. it's always helpful to, to have a little bit of a visual. So I'm literally leading a high ticket mindset program that starts tonight. And this is one of the main things um, we'll be working through is this whole stress eating response, um, how food goes up. And so I'm going to grab one of my packages that goes out to my mindset clients. And I want to show you the toolbox that I built for them. So there's a couple fun games in here. If you think about a, like a construction person's toolbox, we've got our quick access drawer at the very top. And then we've got some of the deeper layers and drawers near the bottom. And so what I try to help clients do, and I hope this is coming up so you can see it at least Kevin, is the quick drawer has to be something that doesn't take a lot of effort. Because when Love someone that. is zonked and their week has just kicked their butt, Asking them to go out for a hike in the woods on Friday at seven probably <laughs> isn't going to happen. So in the top shelf, if you take a look and we can maybe put this in the, the, the show notes, for sure. I have three categories people can pick from in terms of what dog bark is barking the loudest. So we have a, do I need to breathe and to calm myself down? Do I need to move or do I need a sense of order and control in my life? Because a lot of stress eating comes from feeling like other things are out of control. So in the breathing, calming down area, it's just take three slow breaths. And like how long three, does that take? 20 seconds, right? Any, 30 seconds. Anyone can take three breaths. So it's just a reminder, like here's a tool, top shelf of your tool drawer. You can grab that if you need it. If you want to go a little bit slower, we could try the four box breaths where you breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold for four seconds, and you do four of those breaths in total. That's like just over a minute to two minutes of like breathing. Again, very accessible, free, not a lot of time. Or one of my favorites is just to open a door, put your head outside and <laughs> breathe in fresh air. Like that's it, you just open a back door, breathe the outside air, calm yourself down. So you can see that all of these tools are less than a minute. Under the move category in the top drawer, we've got do a one minute stretch, you know, just kind of like stand up, stretch your shoulders, stretch your neck, stretch your legs, just physically move. Maybe you've been like tight and tense and in a chair all day or hunched over a keyboard. Maybe you just need some spaciousness in your body or put on a song and just like move around to a, a song that uplifts you. Or, you know, if you do want to get outside, just walk around your block or even just walk around your house. Um, couple of minutes, no big deal. Or if we need order and control, I call this the two games of five. Either put five things away, like just go around your space and be like, what are five things out of order that just need to go away? Okay, there's dishes in the sink, let's load it in the dishwasher. There's stuff by the front door, put the shoes away where they belong. This shouldn't be on this level, go return it. It's weird how much putting things back into order will make you feel better. Or put a five minute um, timer on your microwave and you just go for five minutes, just five minutes of putting the house a bit tidier, a bit cleaner. But what's cool is based on what you need, do I need to breathe and calm down? Do I need some physical movement? Cause there's maybe some anxiety and tension building, or do I need a sense of control? These are so quick. They're free and they'll start to make you feel better. Then what we need to make sure from a stress response is we're nourishing the deeper layer of how we keep ourselves feeling good. So again, I have very similar categories. Breathing calm includes things like meditate, journal or self-reflect, have a gratitude practice, maybe prayer or a mantra, 
or even just things like scents, like putting on, you know, candle or essential oils and just, again, changing the vibe around you. Move includes things like going out for a longer walk, maybe doing some yoga, scheduling in your workouts, going for a hike in nature, or really any physical activity you enjoy. Could be a bike ride, could be a swim, could be ice skating, anything that kind of gets the blood flowing with continuous movement. For order and control, it's doing things like cleaning the house, decluttering, or setting healthy boundaries. When someone is constantly pushed up against your boundaries, that's usually an unmet need that we have for order and control. Then we go into the layers of love and connection. So things like calling a friend or family member and staying connected with the people we care about the most, playing with a pet, or even going in for a counseling appointment, working with a mental health or story work counselor to help you process the stuff that needs to be dealt with. Another deeper layer need is just the physical need for rest. So taking a bath or shower, having an early bedtime, booking a massage, having very intentional scheduled downtime that is like, no, I just need to chill. It is okay to veg as opposed to just mindlessly vegging every night, really giving yourself that um, scheduled permission. And then, uh, you know, vacations, taking advantage of our vacations. And then lastly, in the deeper layer is a need to express ourselves with creativity and joy. So having a hobby or creative pursuit, just making sure we have joyful activities that show up on our calendar on a regular basis and making sure our relationships were around joyful, positive people. So I love this little toolkit because people can hang this on the refrigerator and be like, okay, I can feel myself being pulled into stress eating or drinking, pull an emergency tool from the top shelf, open the back door and just breathe, put five minutes on the microwave and tidy, whatever the case may be, just get through that initial craving. But so you're not just pulling from the top drawer, we need to make sure, and I get people to do a calendar audit, how many things from the deeper layer mm. are in your month. And if we see a vacancy, there's not a lot of nourishment happening. And that's why you're fake nourishing with sugar and processed foods for that lift. You won't need that lift when you're being deeply nourished with these type of, these type of strategies. And I'm just running through like my client list right now and being like, okay, well, this person's deficient in this one and this one, like, right. It's almost like a nutritional deficiency, but it's a life deficiency. And when we have fewer of those life deficiencies, we now don't have food show up in a, in a less than supportive way. Right. I find what a lot of those do, especially the top shelf ones. So how long does a craving last? Usually, usually about 15 minutes. Right. So, and so all you're doing. Yeah. All you're doing with those top ones are creating space and time to allow that craving to pass so that you can go and continue to do something maybe on that bottom shelf. If that's something that you wish to do. Right. Absolutely. Man. I, (laughs) I hope that the people listening here have had a pen and paper and wrote these things (laughs) down because this is going to be a, there's a ton of gold nuggets in this. It's crazy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, This is absolutely amazing. Um, I know you have a very we probably should start start it this way. I know you have a very interesting story um, yourself. You were at the age of 34, given some real scary news. Can yes, you just dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So a week after my birthday, I got the worst phone call of my entire life. And it's almost shocking how the news was delivered. So a block phone number calls my phone and it's a surgeon from our local hospital. And previous to this, I had had a colonoscopy because I was really sick to my stomach and, you know, thinking I maybe had Crohn's disease. I didn't know what was wrong. And I was waiting for pathology results just to make sure it wasn't the big C cancer. So this block number calls my house. It's like, I don't know, 558 on a dark and stormy night in October. And the surgeon goes, hi, is this Jennifer Brockstroman? Yes. Uh, I have some news for you. Your pathology came back. It's positive for cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you have any questions for me? Click. Like that was how I was told I had cancer. I got called back five days later after hearing nothing from the hospital. So they like call me, drop a bomb, hang up the phone, goodbye. And uh, my husband was coaching at our CrossFit gym at the time. He's a super professional coach. So I knew he wouldn't have his phone on him. He always puts it on silent in a drawer, you know, very present with his classes, but I like 
try to give him a call, you know, just got diagnosed with terrible news, end up calling the wife of one of our members who I knew was always in our six o'clock evening class. And I was like, freaking, I was like, you need to like call your husband or drive down to the gym. You need to pass this message on to my husband. I'm so sorry to make you the messenger. Uh, but like, this is what I was just told. So my husband comes home from work with a bouquet of flowers, you know, wraps me in the biggest hug. I called my mom and dad in the meantime, who live about an hour away. They get in the car, they start driving down to London. And essentially what I now learned is the tumor that they found in my digestive tract wasn't a digest, like wasn't colon cancer. It was an ovarian tumor that had been growing for about five years or longer potentially. And when I had, maybe this is TMI, but I had an abnormal pap when I was 29 and you go for like the further testing when that happens and no one read the report and the report said negative for cervical cancer, malignant cells potentially detected need to rule out uterine or ovarian cancer further testing needed. That specialist didn't read the report. My family doctor got it. She didn't read the report. No one told me anything. So five years later, weird stuff has been happening in my body. You know, I was still competing at regionals, but I was really fatigued, like disproportionately fatigued from training. I caught H1N1. I legit thought I was going to die of the flu. I was like, oh, like I get it. People die of the flu. I think I'm going to be one of these statistics. And I just would catch a cold and it would take me four to six weeks to recover from like a teeny tiny little cold. It, I was eating so well. I was so careful with how I cared for my body. I was like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why am I such a sickly little thing when I really treat my body very well? And so finally, I was just having like extreme pain in my digestive tract, like stabbing pain every time I went to the bathroom. I was dumping my insides out. I was like, I tried every type of elimination diet. I was like, I don't know what I'm reacting to with food. I cannot seem to figure this out. So I finally got a colonoscopy. And in that, the tumor had grown inside my GI tract, which is why I was having so much problems with my digestion. So finally, I get this phone call. I get called back five days later. And they're like, ooh, this is actually very advanced. You are stage three or stage four we need to get you in for emergency surgery. Like this can't wait. This should have been operated on years ago. So I go in for surgery knowing it's bad, but not knowing exactly how bad it is. And I have ovarian cancer everywhere inside my abdominal cavity. So it, this type of cancer grows like a fuzz picture, a spider web or a tent caterpillar nest where it doesn't create a nice solid tumor that you cut the tumor and you get the margins and you're like, good, we got it you basically go in for a defuzzing. So they go in and they try to scrape all the, the tumors that are linked everywhere, but it sticks and adheres to all your organs. So I guess when I woke up, they told me they took my ileocecal valve, which connects your small and large intestine, my appendix, the start of my large intestine, my sigmoid colon, which is the end of the large intestine that hooks up to your rectum, my uterus, my ovaries, my cervix, a third of my bladder, and a whole bunch of like blood vessels and omentum. So they took out a lot, a lot of body parts. And then I also woke up with a limp leg. So it was just like jelly in the bed because they accidentally pinched my femoral nerve and it got crushed in the surgery. And so my leg was temporarily paralyzed. And so I actually had to learn how to completely walk all over because I had one leg, two arms, and I had a noodle that just kind of like dragged behind me. So I couldn't load bear. I couldn't put any weight on the leg. It was my dominant leg, my right leg. So I couldn't drive a car. And I just had this like spaghetti floppy noodle that just like hung off me that would not, I couldn't even wiggle a toe. So I wake up and the doctor looks at me and he's like, unfortunately, it was extremely advanced. You know, we did the best we could to get what we could out of you realistically at this stage, you got about an 8% chance of living to five years. So when you go home, we just want to stress that you need to have your will and your affairs in order. You probably have about six to 12 months and, uh, you know, we did the best we could, but good luck, you know, sort of thing. Like basically this is your last year of life, prepare to go die. And I looked the doctor in the eye and I said, like, someone has to be the 8%. Why not me? very prepared that this could end badly. But again, 
there is a statistic, someone is in that 8%. And if I come at this with nutrition and mindset and lifestyle and courageousness and also acceptance that I could be dying very young, like why not throw a Hail Mary? And some, and I'm like, whether I, I die soon and I died with integrity, doing the very best I could, or I didn't give up. And maybe that, that hope and that, that determination, that will for life actually allows me to be in the 8%. Like I'm not going to crush my hope yet. And so within four and a half months, I, I like rested and ate well, and there's lots of other stuff in this healing journey, but I did a PET scan and they couldn't find a trace of cancer. And I've essentially been in radical remission the last four and a half years, which is amazing. Another remarkable story. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like through that, you were able to be curious, be kind and be honest with yourself during that yes. whole process. And probably soft talk acknowledged one of your reasons for coming through it. Yeah. The most helpful thing I did, I did a couple of really nerdy things and then a couple of really alternative things. So I'll share this for anyone that's maybe experienced a cancer journey themselves or has a loved one is the first part I did is I leaned into my nerdy scientific side. So I actually went into PubMed and I found as many articles on my strain of ovarian cancer that I could. And I read as much on the topic. And then people don't realize you can do this. I just started directly contacting the authors of the paper because oh you can generally find what hospital or university they research out of. Often their contact information is in PubMed. And I just started emailing them and I was like, I would love to pay you a consulting fee for like an hour of your time. I'm a patient. This is the kind of cancer that I have. Can I call you? Can we schedule a private appointment? I'm willing to pay you whatever, but can I download your brain and everything you know about the science of this? Can you teach me what I need to know as a patient? Because really what's happening in the hospitals is about five to 10 years behind what's happening in the frontline research. And I used to be a cancer researcher. That was one of the things I did before I became a dietitian. So I was aware that the cancer research is five to 10 years ahead of clinical practice. So I was like, if I can just contact the people at the direct source doing this research, and they were all so sweet. They're like, Jen, I'm not going to take your money. I was like, no, seriously, <laughs> I'll pay you. But I got to have like a 30 minute, an hour long conversation with a few different ovarian cancer researchers. And then one of them happens to live in my hometown at the big medical university center here in London, Ontario. So he invited me into his lab and I had a three hour conversation in his lab. And then I invited myself into his fourth year, um, sci uh, you know, cancer, um, you know, metabolic class. And I actually went in and audited it as a student. And I'm just taking like furious notes to learn like a hungry little sponge everything I could about like nutrition, intermittent fasting, drugs, chemotherapy, alternative options for cancer. So I went really, really into the science. The second thing I did is I used a phrase I teach my own clients, which is success leaves clues. So I was like, there have to be examples in the world of people given a terminal cancer diagnosis who popped out of it and didn't actually die. So I said, I'm going to go look for those beacons of hope. I'm going to go study them and look for the success. And as a business owner, if you want to be more successful, success leaves clues. Follow the footsteps of someone who's gone before you. So there is an amazing book called Radical Remission. The author's Kelly Turner, and she is a PhD researcher and doctorate who studies cases of radical remission. So she goes around the world and finds cancer cases of people who were stage three, stage four, truly given a terminal diagnosis. And she goes and studies the people who didn't die. And she interviews them and she scientifically collects the evidence of what did those people have in common? And then she wrote a book about it called Radical Remission. But the most common themes are quality nutrition, certain supplements, sunshine, fresh, fresh air, you know, being in nature, being around a very supportive, positive community, having an unshakable belief and hope and something to live for, humor and laughter and lightness in your day, um, grieving, forgiving, letting hard things go. So I went in the woods after I'd read her book probably three times back to back. And I sat by a river and I just had a journal and I wrote down everything my intuition thought I needed as a form of medicine. Just like we talked about the fridge being medicine, 
It was, you know, sleep in, no alarm clocks, get lots of rest, go on warm, fun vacations, laugh a lot, watch really funny shows, um, have love, joy, and happiness be the three words that I wake up to every day and like how I want to exuberate myself in, in my, my social groups, um, eat really well, lots of cruciferous vegetables, low to no sugar intake, forgive and release bullies and let past hurts go. Um, you have a sense of safety, have a clean, minimalistic, uncluttered environment, focus on experiences and not things, and then be at peace with dying, but have a strong belief that I'll be okay. And I just made this like really long healing from cancer list. And I put it beside my bed. I read it. I still do. I read it every morning mm -hmm. and every night. And I was like, my intuition tells me this is the medicine of what it's going to take to not die of ovarian cancer. And so I had to twist my oncologist's arm to get a signature for a PET scan because he was so pessimistic. I now no longer work with this oncologist. He was like, Mr. Death just constantly reminded me that I was going to die and there was nothing I could do. And I was like, fine. The last thing I need from you is just a signature so I can go pay for a PET scan because they're a few thousand dollars and our government won't pay for that except under like very special cancer circumstances. And he's like, I don't know why you want this, Jen. It's going to show that you've got cancer in you. It always comes back. And I was like, well, there's three options. It's really bad and I'm actively dying. And so you're right. My will's, my will's in order. I'm going to have a really great last year of life. That's option A. Option B is it's a little bit more slow growing than you think. And that means I have a little more time. And maybe I do want to return to work because I feel like I have unfinished business in the nutrition coaching world. And my heart's telling me I have to step on a bigger stage and I was really motivated to change fitness nutrition so that it wasn't so disordered eating of good food, bad food, all or nothing. I was like, I still have unfinished work to do. So if it's slow growing, that tells me I've got some time and I need to go put myself out there and really download my brain and help other coaches have this approach to coaching. Or C, it's the rainbows, unicorns, puppies, and stuff, mm -hmm. which is I'm in radical remission, which is how I'm feeling physically. And I want to know that. And I want to celebrate that. So I got a signature and at four and a half months after this intensive cancer surgery, I've taught myself to walk again. I've, you know, done all the, the things that my intuition and, and science was telling me would lead me to a good result. I got a PET scan. They couldn't find a trace of cancer inside of me. And I've since repeated the PET scan three, four years out. They still can't find a single trace of cancer. So touch wood you know, five years will be next year, next this December. Um, but I think, I think I'm going to stay in the clear, uh, soft talk acknowledged, but I did a health spell with Mark in my level one in lifted. And I just, the, the summary of the poem is like, I believed and it happened. So awesome. it's pretty cool. It's pretty, yeah. every day is a miracle. Every day I wake up and I'm like, yes, I get another day. I'm so excited. And then again, that whole best doable option, I try to just add value to the world every single day with the skills I have as a dietitian and a pretty experienced nutrition coach. Because to me, that relationship with our mindset, our environment, our habits, our self-talk, I see some coaches on the leading edge coaching this way, but I still see way too many coaches just like, this is the good food list. This is the bad food list. You should just try really <laughs> hard. And then they're baffled why asking someone to follow a list with willpower isn't working. So I've been trying to, um, with my nutrition certification, really give all my games, all my resources, all my metaphors and mindset coaching tools away to change how nutrition coaching happens inside the fitness community. So I was like, I'm meant to... I'm meant to beat this because I have important work to do. Absolutely. <laughs> I I usually end my um, my episodes with one question, but I feel like mm -hmm. you answered it in that list that you gave. Uh, right. It's what's your one piece of advice to help people become more resilient humans? That list that you gave was was specifically for healing from cancer. Right. That list is for all of us. It totally is. Right. Yeah. Do you want me to read that full list out Please. to the audience? Okay, let me just pull it 30 up. 30% my... slower than what you would normally say. I will. I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I get excited and I'm a bit of a quick talker, so I apologize yeah, yeah, yeah. to the audience here. So okay. here it is, guys. These are the tips to become more resilient from Jennifer Broxerman. This is my healing from cancer list. I read this every day. 
So three daily words, happiness, joy, and love. Have living plants everywhere at home and work. Spend lots of time hiking in the woods. Lean into CrossFit and my community support. Yoga. Do quiet retreats of a spiritual nature. Get outside for daily walks outdoors. Eat lots of vegetables, especially cruciferous. Those are like the crunchy green veggies. Have a low to no sugar intake. Cook with fresh herbs and spices. Eat whole foods without being crazy. Emphasis on high quality nutrient rich foods. Seek out warm, sunny vacations. Work part-time and keep making a positive impact in the world. Relax, stress less, and have a slower pace of living. Have dinner parties with friends. Drink lots of tea, probiotics, and have great gut health. Daily gratitude practice. Meditation, inward reflection, and a spiritual practice. Have a strong belief that I'll be okay. Nurture and protect my immune system dog cuddles with Carly, reach out for social support from friends, family, and my therapist, cry and let, let tough emotions come out, have daily hugs in my life, more laughter and play, look at beautiful art and nature, have sound therapy and invite more peaceful sounds and music in, have lots of natural light around me, allow myself enough sleep, no alarm clocks, release suppressed emotions, practice deep forgiveness, have less fear in my life and a sense of safety, live in a clean, uncluttered, minimalistic home, prioritize travel and adventure, limit and shield against negativity, including both people and news, keep Sundays electronics free, focused on family time, and finally, be at peace with dying. Just pick two of those, two or three people that are listening. <laughs> like mm. literally just focus My, on a couple of things, right? And yep. it's going to change a lot for you. Yep, absolutely. Jen, this has been an absolutely rock star uh, episode. I can't wait for it till it, till it drops. If people want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Yeah, thanks. So probably the best way is through my Prosper Nutrition coaching certification. So if you email info at prospernc.com, you're going to get me directly and I will write you back directly. If you want that copy of that list or some of the stuff I've learned about cancer, happy to share it with you. Um, I'm on Instagram, pretty much the same handle at prosper underscore NC or the website is prospernc.com. So any of those will kind of find their way back to me. If you've got questions or maybe you're a coach that wants some help with some nutrition coaching and some of the mindset resources, basically I give all that away inside the cert. Love it. Absolutely amazing. Anything else you want to touch on before we sign off today? You know what? I think words really do matter. And what can be super helpful is just to pick a couple of words for how you want to show up. So I'll maybe leave it with one last coaching exercise in Let's a true that. coach fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing I did the night before my cancer surgery, and it's an exercise called what's in your cup. So if life jostles you and I'm holding a teacup right now, and what's going to spill out is what I chose to put in my cup. So if I put tea in, tea comes out. If I put water in, water comes out. If I don't be intentional with my words, then resentment, stress, overwhelm, anxiety might come pouring out of my cup. But if I think about the words of how I want to show up as a person in my day, Maybe my words are resilient, positive, hardworking, kind, generous, um, supportive, you know, loving, and life gives me a bump. That's what's going to come out of my cup. So I drew a picture of a teacup the day before surgery, not knowing what they were going to find or how bad it was going to be. And I just said, I will choose to navigate this led by these words. And I think for all of us, when we'll all have challenges that will come up that we're unprepared for, but if we think about intentional, how we want to be when life bumps us, 
it's really cool what will come out of your cup when you've been intentional with the words of the kind of person you want to be. And that's why I don't really set goals. I show up, I set more, how do I want to be today? Mm -hmm. And I know if I act with integrity of those words, good things will happen and will lead me in a positive direction. So instead of getting like, oh, I want to like sell this much or make this much or do do this, it's more if I show up to the world in this way, I'm really proud when I put my head on the pillow at night that today was another great day. So that would maybe be what I want to leave the audience with, with is words really matter and think about the words you want to put in your, your cup. So in both the good times and the hard times, when you get jostled, what will come out of you is what you were intentionally focusing on. And we will get jostled. It's going yes, to happen. We will. <laughs> it's the people that live with their head in the clouds, like, oh, everything's fine. Nothing's going to happen. Right. You know, it'll happen eventually. Don't worry. Exactly. Anyway, thanks again, Jen. This has been absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. Amazing show. Thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.